The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad you guys could tune in. I have a really special guest and we're going to dig into some fascinating information here. So I hope you stick around for the full hour. I'll be talking with Paul Selig today and Paul calls himself a conscious channel who takes dictation from the guides that he works with. And he's considered one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. Paul offers channeled workshops internationally and serves on the faculty of the Esalen Institute and the Kripalu Center. And his work is just an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind is uh, struggling to awaken to its own divine nature. So Paul is, I just find Paul really fascinating. I've, I've spoken to him previously uh, about a, a year or so ago, and I've been spending some time with his latest book. It's called The Kingdom, The Kingdom Book Three of the Beyond the Known Trilogy. And it's just been released this week. And Paul has this amazing gift to channel the unfiltered wisdom of the guides, higher beings who exist beyond the borders of traditional understanding and share it with the world. And this particular book, The Kingdom, is an unedited transcription of Paul's channeled messages direct from his guides over a period of 41 days. This is from June 12th through September 3rd of last year. And Paul, I'm so glad that you could join me today to talk about this material. Thank you for having me. Well, spending some time with the book, you know, this series of messages, these were recorded right during the heart of the pandemic, which we're still, you know, experiencing to to some degree or other. And I'm just wondering about your um, situation at that time. You know, what was it like trying to bring people together? You recorded this in Maui. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What was that time like for you? Well, it was amazing. I mean, it was challenging, but it was an extraordinary time. Um, I had been living in New York City. I Most of my life, I've lived in Manhattan. And I had been um, doing a workshop in Costa Rica um, when New York City shut down for COVID. I left um, for a week to go away, and I actually never went home. So I wound up on Maui because I couldn't get back to New York at that time. And um, I found that I loved it and I stayed. Um, But I convened a small group online to be the active listeners for the dictation of the book. I mean, I knew the book was expected. And the guides have done, I'd say, the last five or so books in front of live audiences, mostly in live workshops. And I was concerned about how it would be 
to go back to just having an active listener. The first three or four books, I think, were done with somebody on the phone listening while I was recording. I can't channel without somebody there to hear it. It's just not possible for me. There needs to be a student, you know, one or 500. It doesn't really matter. So the difference with channeling this book was that I wasn't able to do sort of the energy practica that's very much a part of all of the books. I mean, the guides would lecture in the past, you know, in a workshop and then get everybody on their feet working with the attunements. And there's something about working with the attunements that practically, especially in a room full of people who may never have had an experience palpably of energy before, to have this experience of what the guides are teaching. And so my experience of the kingdom was that the process was different. It was, I I can't say more intellectual, but I had, you know, about nine real serious students of the guides work on on the line. And that's who they talked to. I think a few sessions were done in live streams that were held over that period as well. But I still don't know what I think of it because it was such a different process. Right. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, the book is it's really, it's dense. I mean, I'm still working through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so much information to really process and, and go through. So I can imagine it must've been challenging to do this at that time in, in such a, a different way that, that you weren't used to just with this kind of material. Well, you know, the book that came out before it, which was called Alchemy, was done on the road when I was sort of in the midst of a bit of a meltdown. And it's a gorgeous book and completely coherent. And that's the book that came out in August when everybody was, you know, climbing the walls during shutdown. And so I do think that the guides time their releases. I think that, you know, this is the book for now. That was the book for this, for for that time. And it is dense. You know, I... I always say, you know, these aren't beach books, you know, and they're also not books that are written. I mean, they're spoken into being and then transcribed. The fact that they they read as well as they do on the page is still kind of amazing to me. And the guides, you know, seem to have, you know, developed a, a pretty good system of, of dictation at this point. You know, they know how long a sentence can be, you know, before I'm going to fall out of my chair. So I hope it wasn't so dense that you you couldn't follow it, but I know it's dense material. They're they're on their mission, and this is clearly you know where they've been trying to take everybody, and they take every opportunity. I'm actually supposed to start another book very 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 soon. I have no idea what it is, what the title is, any of it, but it's due in November. So it's like here we go again. It's got to be physically exhausting sometimes, right? Well, it's different. You know, when I was channeling during weekend workshops or five-day or seven-day retreats, it was a bit of a, you know, two two birds with one stone. And um, I was there anyway doing this work, so I, I wasn't thinking about it. Um, it can be exhausting. Um, but now that I'm not traveling and I'm sitting, you know, in a beautiful place in Maui doing this dictation, I don't have a lot to complain about. So I'm not going to. Right. Are you still in Maui now? I'm just curious. Yeah, I moved here for real. I, I got oh, a house. Nice. The whole thing. I know it's crazy. I'm, I live in the rainforest. I don't even know how to drive. I mean, <laughs> this is really nuts, but that's what I did. So that's where I am. 
I'm just curious about the guides and they, they say in the book that they predate humanity as a species and that they're in love with us. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's why they're, they're sharing this information and that some of them were in human form, some were not. I'm just curious, are they always, is it always the same group of guides or does that change? It seems to be to me. I mean, there's only one that I see visually on, on occasion, and that's always kind of a surprise. And it's usually in meditation or under hypnosis, but I'll see the same being. and I, I'm thrilled to see him. But it's a collective. And even though when I'm channeling, sometimes the accent will vary. Um, uh, the speed will vary. Sometimes everything comes through almost shouting, which is disconcerting to me and to, to the audience. But that's when there's some resistance in the room. But once you see it laid out on the page, the sentence structure and the word choices are consistent throughout all the books. There was one book, the Book of Truth, which was a really interesting dictation. Um, that I, I still feel was done by a slightly different aspect of the group. And that was because they kept using the word deers, which is a word that I just can't stand. So we would like you to know deers. And I'm rolling my eyes saying, oh, no, not again. But it was a very specific and extraordinarily careful dictation. I remember it felt like I was sitting in a chair closing my eyes and somebody was literally reading a finished text to me you know, conclusive of paragraph breaks. It just felt so clean. And other times, you know, the energy of the dictation is more emotional, you know, or more joyous um, or more flamboyant. Um, and so that was a different experience. And I've always wondered about that. But it's a collective and that's how I experience it. It's a we, although I can experience it as an I. Um, but for the most part, it's, it feels like it's the group. So it could be different beings coming and going. I think that's interesting because when you described the previous book, um, in this one, I didn't feel any deer, you know, <laughs> there wasn't any deer one, uh, that kind of vibe coming through in this particular dictation. And, you know, but it was only in the very first book, I Am the Word, which was dictated in 2009. At the very end of the book, I don't know if it was the last chapter or the epilogue, this, this guide was coming through. Oh, and it was so joyous. And it was talking about singing and your song and the great choir has commenced. And I'm thinking, what is this? But it was such a wonderful vibe. And now I, and now I consider that to be the guy that loves to talk about music. And everything is about tone and song and vibration. And he would come through with an accent. You know, I thought it was, I don't know, it sounded Scottish to me at times. Other times it sounded British. And I, I heard somebody once comment online about my channeling. Is that listening to Paul Selig channel is like traveling across all the British Isles. And I thought that was very funny because I was just trying to wrap my mouth around what was coming through me. But that's an energy that's familiar and the thing is, every time I do a dictation, the energy is familiar. I couldn't do it if it wasn't. I mean, if I heard somebody coming through using language that was highly contemporary, um, I would probably get alarmed, you know, because it's just not how I hear them. 
I mean, occasionally the guides will reference the computer, but mostly they'll still call it a television. You know, Paul, you have a message on the television. It's like, okay, here we go. Time to, you know, time to check the mail. So that's sort of the difference, but it's my odd relationship. And, you know, for all I know, they're coming through in a way that holds enough of an otherness that I can trust it. Because if it sounded too much like Paul and Paul's interior monologue, I wouldn't call it channeling. And nor would I be willing to sit still for all of these hours. I mean, there are, I don't know how many thousands of pages at this point. This is the ninth book in print. And they probably do, outside of the books, another huge chunk every month in lectures and classes. So, you know, it's what I do is I sit there and I listen. So if it, if it didn't sound like them, I don't think I'd be listening. Right. It must be hours because, and I, I notice at points where it'll say, Paul needs a rest. And yeah. they're like, no, no, we're still talking. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to keep going. Well, you know, I actually appreciate it when that happens because it's like if I if I have a question about the teaching, if they say something that I feel is so far out that I, I can barely give it voice, I've been known to interrupt. And they'll say, Paul is interrupting. He has a question. And oftentimes they'll take it because they need to to continue. But my favorite times when they say, Paul has a question, we will take it later. We, we're continuing as we want. And then I'm really relieved because I know that they're in charge. It's their book. It's not my book. Like, even though I'm, I've got anxiety about the next dictation, and I've had them on every book. It's like jumping off a diving board into a pool and hoping that there's water. And because the rule is with these books that I don't get to go back and fix anything. I don't, go get, I don't get to change the nutty sentence. I might, if I misspoke it, I can find the, re- the right word. Usually it's in the recording on the whisper. But other, you know, that's it. This is how it comes out. So because of that, I'm always a little hypervigilant before channeling. But when I'm reminded that it's not my book, and very often somebody I know will remind me of that, then it's fine. I just sit there and I, I let myself be the radio, which is really my job. Well, it's funny you said that because there is one specific point that I read where the guides actually tell you that you're too concerned with the content that it's really none of your business. Oh yeah. I thought that was funny that they yeah. want you to just be the scribe, right? You yeah. are the mm-hmm. vessel. Yep. 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 Well, I mean, they take me, this is how I, 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 I feel like I'm sitting at their feet and I'm the kid in the front row who puts his hand up too often, but that's because I'm there and I have to. And, you know, I don't consider myself the author of these texts at all, but my name appears in the cover. And so I have this odd, quiet sense of responsibility. So if they say, okay, it's time for everybody to go jump off a cliff, I'm going to go say, hey, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You're going to have to, you know, and then they would have to. It happened. It was in one book. I think it was the book of mastery. I don't think in any of the books so far they've contradicted themselves, but in the book of mastery in one chapter, they said something to the effect of nothing is real. And then they expanded on that. I thought, okay, I've heard that before. Let it go. And then the next morning they started with, and today we're going to talk about how everything is real. And I panicked because I thought, Oh, they've contradicted. The whole book is gone. We've got to, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
And then they just finally said, Paul, just take a walk around the block. We'll keep talking. You know, we'll just keep doing it. And then they explained it. And there wasn't a contradiction. I actually was teaching at the Essel Institute at that time with this guy, Jeffrey Kripal, who's, um, he runs the religious studies department at Rice University. He's a scholar on Gnosticism. And he was teaching with the guides and occasionally debating them. And I brought up that contradiction. He said, oh, that's no contradiction. That's Meister Eckhart. That's mysticism. I said, okay, fine. As long as there's a precedent for this stuff, I, I don't have to think about it ever again. That would have been interesting to hear that debate <laughs> between those, those two. They were fun. Yeah. yeah the, guides, all the guides have only, there's only a couple of people that they've taken on that way and they seem to enjoy it. Jeff, Jeff is one of them. And the writer Charles Eisenstein is another where they, we, we've co-taught and they've, they've, you know, they've taken on his opinions. It's very funny because I'm not, I'm not at that level. You know, I don't, I'm not a scholar of this, this material on the radio, but they enjoy a good banter, it seems. So. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of a sense of humor that you wouldn't think that beings would have. No, they're quite funny. You know, it's a little dry, but it's, um, it's effective. Well, digging into the actual message of the kingdom, and you share with us in this transcription that it's really the knowledge of the divine where it has been denied, that we're, we're denying that we are really pieces of the divine or God and that there is no separation. And yeah. this is what we're trying to embrace, right? That there is no separation. Yeah. That's what they're teaching. They said they've said the only real problem that humanity faces is the denial of the divine, which is everything, you know, and that's us. And we're doing that. And we've been entrained at that level of, of agreement or vibrational accord. And they're showing us another way to move beyond that belief in separation, which they say is an illusion. I guess they could say to refer to what I was just saying, you know, the separation is real and completely impossible and unreal at the same time, you know, because our experience of it is real, but the reality, according to them, is God is all things. They say there is one note played in the universe that is in articulation or manifestation as all things. So everything is God, and the re-seeing of that or the re-knowing of that is what lifts us to a new awareness. Right. And it, I was thinking at the time that you were recording this, you know, during the, it was really the height of the pandemic yeah. at that time, like everything was locked down. Like you said, you know, we're all kind of hunkered down living with the fear and the challenges at that, at that time that you were sharing the information, the guide said that this is still an opportunity for great potential. And I know they, they revealed a lot of that in the book. I mean, just what would you say some of the highlights of the potential that they're seeing during this particular time? I mean, I'd have to ask them, and I don't know if I want to channel on, on your show. I think it <laughs> happens sometimes. Yeah. Like saying, yes, we would like to. We will say this very quickly. We will say this very quickly, the manifestation of the divine. The manifestation of the divine becomes present, becomes present when what you thought was so. When what you have thought was so, believe must be so, believe must be so, is contradicted by a new potential, is contradicted by a new potential when humanity itself is challenged. When humanity itself is challenged by something that's not in the box, they felt 
by something that does not fit inside the box they have held. They are challenged to think beyond it. They are challenged to think beyond it. The great hope for humanity. The great hope for humanity is triumph, is triumph above fear, above fear. Notice we said the word above. Notice we said the word above, the lifting above fear, the lifting above fear to the true self, to the true self who does not agree to fear, who does not agree to fear. Now the trials you've all faced, now the trials you've all faced collectively, collectively indeed opportunity, indeed opportunity is to know the value of your brother is to know the value of your brother, see the well-being of your sister, see the well-being of your sister, care for one another, care for one another beyond the descriptors of separation, beyond the descriptors of separation. Each time you do this, each time you do this, you lift the world, you express through, you lift the world, you express through, the times are not done, the times are not done, in fact, they are beginning, in fact, they are beginning, and the potential for humanity to rise, and the potential for humanity to rise on this great wave of change, on this great wave of change is present now and will continue to be, is present now and will continue to be. Thank you, period. They're saying thank you, period. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's interesting. You know, it seems that that kind of potential, though, only arises during a great catastrophe, right? Where mankind shows his best face during 9-11 or when that condo crashed in Miami and people were trying to drag people out of the rubble, you know, why? I wonder what they think about that. Why do we have to be pushed to that point to let our good come out? You know, this is what they've said. And this was in the very first book. um, I am the word, which was dictated in 2009. And they say, they said, humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And everything that's been created in fear has got to be reseen and recreated in a higher way. And they actually talked about 9-11 in the first book, which is the first time, the only time that I know that they've really directly addressed an event. But I didn't even know it was a book dictation. I thought it was just having a conversation about the book that was being recorded. And at the end, they said, this is in the book, and this is the book. And they said that 9-11 was a great opportunity for this country to renew itself as, I don't remember exactly what they said, but as, as, as in change. And they said the survival of this country, and they actually said that, had a great deal to do with our willingness to release the need to be seen as conqueror. And that that was our attachment and that is what had to be moved. And, and essentially we failed it, which is what they said. We didn't take the opportunity. And now we're going to have a bumpier road ahead of us. So why? I don't know. I mean, there's this old Leonard Cohen song, you know, and I was raised an atheist, you know, pretty much. So I listened to Leonard Cohen because it was funky, not because it was spiritual. But in that old song, Suzanne, there's this line. And he said, you know, and Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water. And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower. And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him. He said, all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them. And you know what? I kind of think that's kind of it. It's not about Jesus, but it's about when everything that I thought would keep me safe or give me a sense of identity, be it a job or a marriage or uh, my physical health or anything else is challenged, then, you know, the sky opens up because we're in necessity. And other than that, we just want our comfort. We want the convenience of not having to think about these things. Right. 
No, that's uh, that's beautiful. I love Leonard Cohen. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. So we're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes, but I did want to ask you really quickly about um, one term. There were some terms that were being shared throughout the book that I wasn't familiar with, so I had to look it up, uh-huh. <laughs> which is good because I'm I'm learning things. And the guys, the guides talked about the manifestation of the monad, and they uh-huh. they share that term throughout the book and. I, when I looked it up, there's a couple of different definitions, but basically it refers to a su- supreme being or the totality of all things. And I think Emerson also made mention of the monad when he talks about the oversoul or the universal mind. Is this your understanding of the monad? My understanding of the monad is that it's a term that they use that's interchangeable with other terms. So some people can call it the indwelling Christ, you know, the divine spark. Um, but it's the aspect, and the guide's definition of, of the Christ has always been the aspect of the creator that seeks to be realized in form. So it's the seed of the divine that seeks to flower as and through all of us. And that is the monad as well. So it's the individual, it's the individuation of the, of the, the total. I suppose that's the way to think of it. It's the spark that is of the great light that already knows itself as of the great light. So it doesn't need to be convinced. It already knows. And that's when they say we truly are anyway. So they say the Christ itself and the eternal self, the true self, monad is the term that they've landed on recently. And I was a little surprised by that, but maybe it's, um, I'm assuming that there's a reason for it and more will be revealed. Right. I thought that was interesting they used that because when I was researching the term, it actually has roots, I think, back to Pythagorean times Uh where it first kind of revealed itself. And then, of course, was picked up by other transcendentalists, you know, later in history. So it's interesting. You did. I looked it up, too. I said, oh, crap, what's this going to be now? There was um, in, in, in the book Alchemy, I was channeling at Esalen. And there was this word the guides kept using that I wouldn't say aloud because I didn't think it was a real word. And if it was a real word, I didn't know what it meant. And so they kept saying, you know, Paulus, and this is in the book, Paulus, Paulus refusing to say the word we're giving him. And at the end of the lecture, I blurted it out and the word was penumbra and everybody got their phones out and looked up the word. And it was the perfect word, which was the light that shines from behind the cloud. It was the perfect word for the chapter, but I didn't say it because I, I was just, I was in discomfort. I got in the way. But that's interesting to hear that you sometimes have to look up terms and words yeah. and things like that. Cause you're just revealing the information as it comes, not saying, wait a minute, what does that mean? Yeah. And you go yeah. back and kind of seek it yeah. out. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, we're going to take a short break just for a minute here and come back and talk to Paul Selig. And I urge you to go to his website, paulselig.com, and also check him out on YouTube. There is so much fascinating information to dig in on the YouTube channel and check out what he's got going on there and see some of the videos. So we'll take a short break and then we'll be right back.
Human Design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum Human Design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me today, talking with Paul Selig about his latest book, The Kingdom. This is the third in his trilogy, and it's available right now. You can check this out. Just, uh, I mean, it, it's taken me a while to get through it because I really want to understand mm-hmm. what the guides are saying. So I'm still kind of digging in. I've gone back and I've underlined things and kind of reread some stuff. Just really fascinating information that they're sharing. Um, one of them was a, a really uh, interesting definition of divine will. And they say that the true self is never in opposition to this. And I thought I thought that was interesting. Divine will being free will, uh, would that be the same thing? No, no. I mean, they say we've been endowed with free will and it's sacred and they don't mess with it. And, you know, it's got to be choice. But they speak a lot about what they call the braiding of the will. So they say, for example, that the, the small self or the personality structure thinks and the true self knows And so the true self is always in knowing. And when your knowing is aligned to your will, you're always operating from that place of of truth or the choices that you make or are in agreement to the divine self or the monad or whatever you want to call it. They talk about in a couple of the books, a process that they call the braiding of the will, where the will of the the small self, and I just, that's their term, but I like personality structure better in sort of is braided with divine will. And then divine will sort of assumes it because it's the higher note. It's the higher vibration. So the way that I understood it was, you know, I, I was coming from sort of this system um, through my sort of 12 step years of you know, thy will not mine be done as if my will was faulty and shouldn't be listened to at all, which can lead to great paralysis, by the way, if you really end up doing that. Should I go to the refrigerator? Should I not? I don't know. You know, who cares? So, but when you move to what they're speaking about, I think that they're talking about the will becoming one or I and the father, the mother, whatever you want to call it, are one. It becomes a unified will. That doesn't mean that we don't have choice, but they say that the choices that one makes from what they call the upper room, which is a higher level of consciousness, are in alignment to the higher. So you have to go back downstairs. And the simple way to understand this is, you know, if you're not choosing in fear, um, you're generally probably on the right track because they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And fear is in some ways one of the predominant forces that we contend with in what they call the lower realm or you know, the collective field that we all operate in. They call it an octave. 
So they say we're living in an octave with low and high notes, and the upper room is just the next octave above ours. It's a higher level of consciousness, but that the music that we are can be transposed to play there. And the upper room, uh, this concept uh, in this book, this isn't the first time they've mentioned that. Is mm -hmm. that right? They, they've brought yeah. this up many this times before. Trilogy, the whole trilogy is, the, is kind of like the upper room trilogy. Yeah, they introduce the concept in this book, Realization, and they talk about navigating it in alchemy. And the kingdom is really speaking to the energy of being there or being it or being the expression of it. I can't say I'm there yet, um, you know, but that's where they're inviting us to go. Right. I think we're all we're all working on it. And the information that you're sharing is hopefully helping us to raise our vibration to get into that upper room, right? Which, which is what we're trying to do. You know, um, in talking about the, the concept of non-separation, some of the criticism of this teaching of non-separation from the divine is that we can't think of ourselves as God being the lowly yeah. humans that we are. Yeah. And the guides say that that's the real heresy that we deny well, this. Yes, it is. But they, I, I think that there's a, a bit of a paradox with the, with the whole thing because I, underst I, I understand the complaint. And um, when most people are running around saying, I am God, they're, they're in this idea of sort of the divinization of the ego, you know, which is, look at me, I'm so powerful, I'm going to have whatever I want. The problem is that so much of what we want or what we were taught to want, and that's mostly born in, you know, above. I'm not going to say it's about materialism, but it's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily have any bearing. Very early when I was doing workshops, so nine years ago or so, the guides said to somebody, and rather sternly, um, they said, you know, you don't become the Christ, the Christ becomes you. And therein lies the difference. You become the expression of the divine. It's not just you. They say the personality structure, the ego can be assumed in the higher way. But finally, it has a lot to do with this sort of sense of who's running the show. So the guides have said, you know, there's nothing wrong with a house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there. But why do you want it? And if you want it so that you can be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. You know, so no matter how you want to think about it, that's the lessons you get. And we'll learn from that stuff. You know, we're here to learn. So we'll learn through all these choices. But I have I'm not a good new ager. I never have been. You know, my introduction to spirituality and it was you know it was I, I don't want to say it was like this William Jamesian thing that happened but a number of things happened early in my life including sort of bottoming out in a motel room in you know St. Paul Minnesota and the Gideons leave these books in the drawer you know and it said prayer for people in crisis and I said it and three days later I woke up back in New York and I said what can I do myself today that's positive, and I heard a voice telling me what to do is the first voice. And I did it, and my life changed. And so that was the beginning. So for me, none of this was about convenience or, God forbid, about becoming special. You know, I don't think this is about what I do. I have an innate, weird quirk. My system seems to be wired to do this. I do not think it makes me more evolved than anybody else. I actually think that, you know, 
the guy that's in the contractor that's working on my house seems far more involved than I'll ever be. He's so patient. I'm just stunned by him all the time. And he's probably got 15, like 15 years younger than me. I'm saying, this guy's amazing, you know? So I don't think it's about that. And when I, when people start yelling from the rooftops, I am God, I mean, I think that that's a moment of clarity, but please understand that if that's true for you, that means it's true for everybody because everybody is an expression of the divine. Even those people that you can't stand, you know, you don't get to have it both ways. So, Paul, I was curious, what do the guides think of the Bible? Do they think it's a collection of interpretations and stories and poetry and things passed down through time to help people make sense of their surroundings? What do they think about that? They've never talked about it, so I can't answer that. Okay, well, that's that's interesting. I just wondered um, if they had had any... I interaction mean, they, or no i mean they they reference it in time they reference it at times but i've certainly got no opinion i mean they say that the the seed of truth that's in all religions is still present in them but much has been distorted over time due to you know politics and you know other things in the book the kingdom the guides say we're in a period of dismantling of our civilization, which certainly seems to be true if you look around and just mm -hmm. watch the news any day of the week. And I, it got me thinking, how can we move forward as a civilization when we're so divided right now and so many people want to insist that their way is the right way and they know what God's will is? We mm -hmm. talked a little bit about divine will and, and free will a little bit earlier. And if the kingdom can only be claimed by the collective, there will never be an agreement on this mm -hmm. that I can see. So how can yeah. we move forward? What do you think well, about that? The kingdom isn't only claimed by the collective. It's claimed first by the individual. And that's the opportunity here. And, you know, the guides do say that the reality that we are in now is a collective agreement. It's a shared coherence to vibrations. So even though we say, well, I didn't cause this or I didn't make this happen because it's part of the shared reality, we're in vibrational accord to it. And they speak about this shifting as we lift above in a higher awareness. So you really can't fix things at the level of, of division. You know, it's not going to work. It's not going to change. You can lift you can lift above it and see it in a higher way. And then the guides say a lot of this is actually happening through, you know, uh, kind of, how can I say this? It's, 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 um, it's, it's through co-resonance. That's really how change begins to happen. So when you stop holding the charge for the negative, you stop contributing to it. And when you stop contributing to it, you're making something else available. You're not just in a tug of war with the old paradigm. So in the very first book, the guides dictated, which was, it was dictated through me in 2009, the guide said that, you know, humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and that everything that's been created in fear needs to be reseen or renown or rearticulated in a higher way. And that is the opportunity of this time. I just think that everybody's operating in fear. So that's where you find this division. The guides have said again and again and again, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice one makes in fear contributes to the same. It's the radio station, in other words, that you end up plugging into. 
So I think this is a time of great opportunity. That's what the guides have said again and again and again. But if we want to frame this as, you know, a time of uh, potential apocalypse or, you know, great war, we can have that too. You know, I mean, that can be how we, we sort of accept this shared field that we've gone into accord with. But the books are really pretty clear about this, that we hold a responsibility. You know, the first time they said this in a, in a, in a book, that we're participatory to our reality. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, they said, I think they said, you know, well, that doesn't mean that you caused the war, but if because you see the war, you're in agreement to it. And I said, well, if there's a book on the table in Paris, um, does that mean that my consciousness is informing the book on the table in Paris? And they said, well, on the moment you know there's a book on the table in Paris, yes. Because how you hold anything in thought or in consciousness contributes to the, the, the way that it's expressed. And if you see those experiments that have been done with water, I forget the doctor's name, you know, that's the same kind of thing. Right. Masuro Emoto, I think, right. uh-huh. is the guy. Yep. <laughs> I'm surprised I remember that. I just pulled that out. Um, the guides also had said that we're not the first, this isn't the first time humanity has reconciled to be lifted. Yeah. Like you're saying, we're all on on this kind of resonance. And it just makes me think how how ancient or how old, I, I'm, I'm thinking of time in a linear way, right? Yeah. How old yeah. that these beings are. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't think of it in that, I, I in those know. terms. I, mean, I I'm I'm generally uncomfortable when they talk about those things, you know, because it begs further questions. And when I get nervous during a channeling, it's harder for me to bring it through. Um, but they're increasingly speaking about this in their teachings. And yeah, I mean, they say that, you know, some of them have known themselves in form, some of them have not, you know. And the idea... I think of, 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 of a consciousness that is sort of not bound by linear time is something that we have a hard time with. But that's my understanding. The name that they've come through with when they bring through a name, and they've said it in a few of the books, if you wish to call us something, you can call us Melchizedek. I mean, that's an old name, you know, and it's one that I think actually probably predates our idea of recorded history, but I don't know. I'm not a religious scholar. Thank God. (laughs) Right. That's a lot to dig through there. It sounds old Testament Melchizedek, but yeah. It's the old and the new. Yeah. yeah. It's both. I'll have to look that, look that Uh one up as well. Um, Some of the things that guides challenge us to do, I, I think are, are really interesting. They ask us to release old ideas and beliefs to be able to access the upper room and that, we need to excavate things that we might not even be aware of. And what I thought was kind of the interesting thing about this was they say there's going to be a great healing when we learn these things. And I think the struggle is asking people to let go of beliefs like those are terrible people, the the other, you know, and this is a real challenge, but Mm -hmm. also for example, like I was thinking about this in, in my own how I would process, you know, changing old beliefs. So for example, asking me to reframe my beliefs of, you know, Nazis or white supremacists or Mm -hmm. something that I personally have strong feelings about. How would I, how would I work with that? Because I don't know if I could reframe that. I can see there are people that are lost or, Mm -hmm. 
you know, well, their beliefs I mean, I don't match they mine. Say, you know, it's, 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 I, I mean, it's a large teaching and I'm not going to be able to give you the elevator speech on it because it's actually too big. But the guides say God is all things or God can be no thing at all. We're, we have free will and choice. And what we do with free will and choice is up to us. But they do say that when you decide that the divine cannot be somewhere or in someone, you're actually shutting yourself off from source as well. They don't speak for the most part of good and evil in traditional ways, but they do talk about vibration and high and low. And they say that we're expressing in an octave with low notes and high notes and everything is in co-resonance, and we're always creating an alignment with that, they would suggest, I think, that the one that harms another in the ways that you're speaking of has forgotten who he or she is. They're operating in the denial of the divine because you would have to be in that denial to, to, to engage in those kinds of acts. And, you know, it is challenging. You know, my father was a Holocaust survivor. He was sent to the U.S. from, you know, Germany when he was a young boy in the kinder transport, and a great portion of my family was, was murdered in the camps. And, you know, it's an interesting thing that I live with, um, and I have a hard time forgiving easy things in my life, let alone the great things, but I do understand the purpose of forgiveness is to set me free. From the attachment. It's less about the other. In the Book of Mastery, which was the guide's, I think, fourth book, they, they offered a meditation and they said, imagine that you're going into a cave and in that cave is the one person you never want to see again as long as you live. And your job is to escort that person out of the cave. And the rationale was, well, you put them there. And because you put them there, they called you into that darkness. And, you know, releasing them from that darkness is not giving them a free pass or saying that it was okay. We're all responsible for our actions. It's karma. I mean, it's pretty basic stuff. Um, but the idea that if there is a God, and I believe there is, that it could love one human being more than another or favor one over another or forgive some but not others, to my mind, makes no sense at all. And the guides have said repeatedly, who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. And what you damn damns you back, which is just a teaching of energetic co-resonance. They also say what you bless or who you bless blesses you in return, which is, again, co-resonance. It's not making things okay. And they say a blessing is the realization of the presence of the divine upon the thing or person. God is where that thing is. That's the blessing. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking we're mentioning history and mm -hmm. they've, the guides have been around for so long and have seen so many different in, incarnations of us and, and what we've done on this earth. And they made a reference of, of history being renowned from a higher perspective. Yeah. And it just made me think of kind of the big debate going on right now about critical race theory. And mm. many people don't want to know the real history of mm. what happened during slavery, mm. for example. Mm. And you mentioned the Holocaust. I mean, there's a huge percentage of young people out there that believe the Holocaust didn't exist, mm -hmm. which I is just so mind boggling to me. Um, 
And the guides had said that the idea of recycling history is uh, an out, an outputting or, or, a, or production of the small self. Yeah. I mean, how can yeah. we reconcile that kind of stuff? I mean, I know it's really, well, it's big. You their, know. Teach, their teaching is very specific. They say that the small self or the personality structure knows itself through history because that's the only frame of reference it has, whereas the true self or the divine self or the God within knows itself in a very different way. It knows itself as of the whole, not separate from the whole. When the guides speak about things like re-knowing history, they're not, certainly it's not spiritual bypassing or not pretending things didn't happen. The guides say if you have a body buried in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. And that can be the collective basement that we all have, you know, but all of this stuff needs to be brought to the light. They, there was a book that they brought through maybe five years ago or so called The Book of Truth, which was a challenging book. And this predated the, the you know, the two presidential elections ago. It was right before all that happened. And the guide said, you know, um, everything that has been buried is going to be revealed. You know, everything. And they say, imagine your backyard is now an archaeological dig. And things that were buried five days ago and 5,000 years ago are all coming up to be seen. The purpose of these things being seen is not to blame and shame and make them wrong or call them names. It's to heal. Because nothing gets healed until it's brought to the light. So, you know, my personality self has an investment in not looking at my own crap. Because who wants to? It's like that old trope, you know, that old cliche you'd hear about, you know, the wife is always the last to know about the affair. Well, there's a good reason for that. She doesn't want to know. Who wants to know? Who wants to know that your marriage isn't what you thought it was or that your, your partner is screwing around? Who wants to know that? So we protect ourselves. And I think having an investment in an idea of who we are is where we get stuck. You know, the great savior. I mean, you know, we would love to pretend that this country never did anything to harm anybody. It's simply just not true, you know. And until we we address some of these things, I suspect we're going to be having a hard time. And the guides talked about this back in the first book, I Am the Word. You know, they said the country's opportunity is to be a model of great change. That's the opportunity and the more we dig in as the idea of being the conqueror of other nations, the more we're going to be screwed. And I kind of think we've seen a bit of that already and how problematic it can be. Oh, absolutely. I wonder what they think of that we haven't overcome these things because it's, it, you know, it just seems so we should have evolved past this at this point. Well, who says, in, in our, you know, I mean, history. should is the small self too. We sh I should be more spiritual. I should meditate twice a day. I, I should be 40 pounds lighter than I am. I have a long list of shoulds. <laughs> and perhaps I'm where I need to be to learn what I came here to learn. And we have choice. And I think we are here to learn. And it's really up to us how we learn. So we can learn that we need to attend to the planet we share by taking care of it. Or we may learn by, you know, being forced into some really rough situations. You know, that's we can learn the hard way if we want to. And we may. 
Um, and I don't know, you know, I often learn my lessons the hard way still. I wish that weren't the case after all these years, you know, but occasionally when it hurts enough, I change. Right. That seems so, to be the case. Like you hear with addicts, well, they had to hit rock bottom before yeah. anything changed. That's usually when things change, right? When, well, when it hits it the fan. For me, I was a drunk when I was 25, you know, and it's when I kind of realized that I was going to get better on my own, that things began to change. And I was became humble enough to say help, you know, in some way. And, you know, I don't think humility is weakness. I think humility is sort of right awareness of, of, of where we are and where we stand, you know. And we live in a culture that wants to elevate one person over the next and value this life versus that life. I mean, the guides say, you know, you don't know between the king and the beggar, who's living the more, you know, I don't know, the, the, who's getting the bigger lessons in a lifetime. It may well be the beggar, you know, but we live in a world where we said, oh, the poor beggar, they must be doing something wrong. Who knows what they came to learn, you know? And um, I can't judge that. And I really, you know, can't judge others. I do, but it hurts me when I do it. And that's all New Testament stuff. Judge not lest you be judged. That's really what it's about. It's, again, co-resonance. You know, it's a very simple teaching if you think about it. You know, the information's so challenging. I'm really enjoying working my way through this book. It's available now, The Kingdom. And are you going to continue to, to teach on, on this material, this, this new channel material? You had said earlier you're possibly working on another book as well. Well, they're supposed to be starting one. So, you know, by the time this airs, hopefully it will be well underway. Um, and I don't know what's next, to be honest with you. You know, I, I often don't know until they start. They do a lecture and they say, this is the introduction to the next book. And then I go, okay, here we go. I agreed with the publisher to deliver something November 1st, which is not far away. Yeah. And um, I don't even know the title of this one yet, and I'm hoping they come through. They have in the past, so I'm assuming they will, not would. But, you know, my job is to show up and sit in the chair, close my eyes, and hope I can hear clearly. And it's not my book, it's their book. So I don't know what the next teaching is, but the guides are continuing to teach. I'm going to be back touring again come the fall. And um, I do an enormous amount of work online now, you know, weekly teachings and five-day monthly seminars, you know, and, and it's, 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 it, the teachings progress, you know, every time I sit down, they're progressing. Right. It keeps you busy. Yeah. Well, I hope people check out this book right now. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning a lot. The Kingdom. Go to your website, paulsellig.com, and also check out your offerings on YouTube. Some really interesting material. And thank you for giving me this time and being so gracious with me, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On the Dropping In Podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.